0: last time on The Big Switch.
1: I see, Melissa, that you start with stereotypical vision that Poland is a coal country, that whatever whatever we do uh, is, is deeply rooted in the coal mining industry tradition and interests, which is not true.
0: Breaking news out of Poland, after days of negotiation, delegates from nearly 200 nations have reached an agreement to put the
2: 2015 Paris Climate Treaty into action. The challenge which we need to face as a country is not only how to phase out coal, but uh, which capacities to phase in.
3: After years of planning, Poland has signed a contract with an American company to build its first nuclear power plant on the territory of Poland.
1: I don't see it going back to the way it was. I really don't. I mean, this is shaken
3: countries to their core.
2: We are in the middle of energy crisis, so we need to build quickly new capacities. And the quickest way to build capacity is to build renewables. Last year when Russia invaded
0: Ukraine, a lot of different governments sprang into action to support. They sent around munitions and medical aid to Ukraine, and they also slashed the imports of fossil fuels from Russia. But we also saw people stepping up. We saw European citizens taking matters into their own hands however they knew how.
2: Before, I I had gas in my house, but after Russian invasion, I decided myself to cut off from, from gas.
0: This is Dr. Joanna Pandera, and we've heard from her before in this season. She's not only the head of the Polish think tank Forum Energy, she's also someone living through this crisis who made choices in her home to move away from Russian fossil fuels. Joanna wanted absolutely no part in buying natural gas that might help enrich Putin. She'd already switched out her gas boiler from an electric heat pump,
2: and the invasion prompted her to rip out her gas-burning stove too. So I have now electric um, induction plate in in the kitchen, and I use also electricity for heating. I'm really happy with this move. She didn't just rip out her gas stove.
0: She actually turned it into a kind of celebration of solidarity. So one night, she invited a bunch of her Ukrainian friends over for a dinner party. She played music from her favorite Ukrainian band, and they cooked up this feast of Ukrainian delicacies. I'm talking about pierogies and borscht, all cooked without a puff of Russian gas.
2: So it was really fun like resistance to Russia and also you know express uh, you know uh, how I disagree with this uh, a- a- aggression. so I, I probably, I won't go to fight, personally, but we were so angry, you know, here. in, We are so close also to the border, so you need to understand that we could really feel that war with our blood and uh, skin.
0: And Joanna was far from being alone in ditching gas within her home. People all over the country were doing the same thing.
2: Last year, Poland was the leader of uh, of the sales of heat pumps in the world, so the growth uh, in heat pump sales was uh, about 120 percent. And now we see a situation where citizens are taking responsibility, for. uh, they are not waiting anymore for the state and they are taking their decision and they invest in electrification of heating.
0: In World War II, there were victory gardens. Now, how about victory heat pumps? This is The Big Switch, a show about how to rebuild the energy systems that are all around us. I'm Dr. Melissa Lott, and I'm the Director of Research at Columbia University's SIPA Center on Global Energy Policy. This season, we're taking a deep dive into the European energy crisis, and we're looking at it through the lens of Germany and Poland. We're trying to answer the trillion dollar question. Will this energy crisis speed up or slow down Europe's push towards green energy? And what does it mean for the rest of the world? If you're just joining us, it's worth taking a listen to our first three episodes of the season. That's where we dug into the history that led to Europe's crippling dependence on Russian energy. We asked why Germany's renewables can't fill the energy gap, and we explored whether nuclear power could help Poland cut its cord with coal. In this episode, we're going to talk about heat pumps, and we're going to dive into how Poland and Germany are trying to meet the unprecedented demand for both heat pumps and also solar power that's fueled by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So how are they going to meet this demand? And what's standing in their way? So Europe has started this race that goes across the continent, and it's a race away from Russian energy sources. The first step in that race?
3: Well, part of it is to need less energy.
0: This is Jonathan Elkind, and he's my colleague here at Columbia Center on Global Energy Policy. And he says that for countries like Germany and Poland to make it through the next few winters unscathed, they're going to have to be much more efficient in how they use energy in their buildings.
3: And that's all about, you know, insulation and higher efficiency heat and hot water. So those will translate into significantly reduced requirement for natural gas or electricity to provide comfort and, and survivable temperatures.
0: And that improved efficiency is being paired with new, cleaner sources of electricity to power those buildings. These are sources that don't depend on energy from Russia.
3: One of the really big sectors for growth is wind power. Both onshore and offshore wind power has been growing in Poland very dramatically. And the opportunity for development in the the Polish Baltic offshore is, is pretty exciting and material.
0: Then there's solar, which is also exploding across Europe. It's almost like a wartime mobilization effort. The faster Europe can electrify its economy and its buildings and then serve that electricity with renewables and other sources of clean electricity, the faster it can wean itself off of Russian fossil fuels. And of course, it's not only about Russia. There are huge climate benefits too. In Germany, nearly 10% of the country's carbon dioxide emissions come from heating systems and buildings alone. And next door in Poland, that number is around 25%. But heat pumps could help slash those emissions.
3: Poland has been the most actively growing market for high-efficiency residential heat pumps, for example. And that's been one of the things that's been very, very positive arising out of this uh, crisis situation in the last year and a half.
0: So a call to arms for heat pumps? It seems like a win-win. You get energy security plus climate security. But how's that plan actually working? How is business these days? Are you very busy or is it very sleepy?
1: (laughs) Oh, no, it's very busy.
0: (laughs) Robert Marchak runs SolarSpot. It's a Polish company that installs rooftop solar panels, heat pumps and other building electrification gear. And he says that when Russia invaded Ukraine, price spikes hit everyone.
1: The first year was a shock. The price of uh, coal raised more than uh, four times. Uh, Gas was many, many times more. It was about uh, 10 times.
0: As the prices went up, did you get more phone calls from customers?
1: Yeah, it was a very, very big impact to to customers to start thinking and buying. It was time when uh, I was afraid the, the next day because next customer would w- w- will buy next uh, heat pump, which was not accessible on Polish market.
0: Because of those price spikes, Robert's phone was ringing off the hook. Customers were asking him, how do I go electric? And according to the International Energy Agency, some countries in Europe saw sales of heat pumps in the first half of 2022 double compared to the previous period in 2021. And a lot of the people who were calling Robert wanted those heat pumps before the winter set in. But there was a problem, and it was with Marchuk's suppliers.
1: Companies uh, which produced heat pumps we didn't deliver the products on market. They give us twenty percent of, uh, of our orders.
0: So Marchuk would go and order ten heat pumps and only two would arrive. His customers were waiting six months or more to get one installed. And this wasn't just a problem for Marchuk's company, but for customers all over Europe. Here's a German hardware store owner who was talking to your news two months after the invasion.
1: Everyone wants to buy electric heaters but it's completely sold out. Maybe we get September, October, or November. No company can tell us uh, if they deliver it to us because everything is completely sold out.
0: The invasion of Ukraine posed a massive challenge to manufacturers of heat pumps and all sorts of other types of goods. They had just gone through all those supply chain headaches that came with the pandemic. And then with energy prices going sky-high, demand for their products skyrocketed. And it took a few months before the markets could catch up.
3: In a way, Stiebel, Eltron has never had it so good. The heating manufacturer's main factory is working 24 hours a day, making the energy-efficient heat pumps that Germany needs to wean itself off Russian gas.
0: Siebel Eltron is a German heat pump manufacturer, and they recently announced plans to quadruple their production capacity. And in Poland, two manufacturing giants—I'm talking about Bosch and Daikin—they announced plans to build brand new factories for heat pumps. And announcements like this mean that Marczuk's supply crunch is easing, and now he can get heat pumps from any number of vendors. And with customer demand still record high, he says that Solarspot, well, they're busier than ever. I'm wondering if I was living in Poland and I called you today and I said, Robert, I'd like a heat pump. How long would it take for me to have a heat pump at my house? Like, how long would that take?
1: Uh, Now it is about uh, three, four weeks.
0: Whoa, that's amazing. (laughs) It would be six months where I live. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah.
1: uh, Yeah. uh, Wow. A year ago, it was uh, half a year. It's much more busy than uh, two, three years ago. Because of these changes with regulation, with war and, and so on, we see that our customers are thinking it is good time to invest now.
0: So when talking to Robert, it became really clear to me that from the perspective of contractors like him, Europe's efforts to mobilize clean energy in response to the war was going well. Heat pump installations are at a record high in both Poland and Germany, and in a lot of other countries around the world, too. And the IEA estimates that heat pumps could account for almost half of reductions in worldwide fossil fuel use for heating in buildings by 2030. Again, here's John Elkind.
3: Well, part of it is to, is to need less uh, energy. So those heat pump installations will translate into significantly reduced uh, requirement uh, for natural gas or electricity to provide comfort and, and frankly, survivable survivable temperatures. So that's super important.
0: Heat pumps are three to four times more efficient than a natural gas boiler. And new heat pumps, they work really well at low temperatures. That's a very attractive selling point. Also attractive? Subsidies. In Poland and Germany, for example, the government will actually split the cost of a heat pump with homeowners. And if the carrot of subsidies isn't enough, in April, Germany announced a big stick.
2: Hello and welcome to The Daily Climate Show. Coming up, boiler ban. Germany outlaws the installation of oil and gas heating systems from next year. The German
0: parliament passed a bill that would essentially ban the installation of new gas and oil heating systems. The bottom line is that here we have the biggest, wealthiest country in the EU taking a very bold step. This all sounds great, but there's a big problem that threatens to slow down the energy transition in both Poland and Germany, and no ramp-up in manufacturing can fix it. There just aren't enough companies like Roberts with enough skilled trade workers to get all these solar panels and heat pumps up and running.
4: Of the 15 bottleneck trades in the energy transition, the two main uh, ones are electricians and heating installers. So yeah, it's pretty dire.
0: This is Simon Vaden. He's a researcher at TU Berlin, and he studies the role of trade workers in the energy transition. The trades are called crafts in Germany, and they include any kind of specialized physical labor. I'm talking about plumbers and bakers, hairdressers and electricians. And Simon got interested in the craft sector because it's often overlooked. In the climate and energy space, we pay a lot of attention to the grassroots, so what citizens and consumers are doing. And we will follow all those twists and turns in energy policy, what governments are doing. But…
4: There's a third approach to transformation. One is bottom-up. The other is top-down. But also there's middle-out. So you go into the middle of a system and you address those people. In the energy system, craftspeople are in this uh, middle position often.
0: And this middle, the craft sector, it has a long history in Europe.
4: So if you look at medieval cities, for example, all craftspeople of one specific craft or trade, they organize together to form a guild to jointly promote the interests of this specific trade to the public, to administration, to politics, so let's say the king or whatever.
0: Okay, quick sidebar. Simon mentions medieval cities, and if we look back in history, we can see that all the way back in the 1300s, the craft sector was already organized into guilds. And these craft guilds set prices for their products, and they ran apprenticeship programs. And the guilds even gained the right to appoint local political leaders in some of the towns in Germany. In short, they wielded a lot of power. Fast forward to the past few decades, and like a lot of the rest of the world, Simon tells us that the power of the craft sector guilds in Germany has dwindled, as so-called brain work, which we call white-collar work here in the U.S., came to be viewed as a more prestigious job than handiwork.
4: In the last decades, it was always that brain work was seen as superior to handiwork, so this transition to white-collar workers, you would rather be an employee working in a, a huge enterprise, not knowing what you are doing, but with a white uh, white color, then blue color work. So there was a lot of talking, good talking about the craft sector, but if you were asked would you send your children to the craft sector, you would say, no, my children have to go to university.
0: And this undervaluing of the crafts has consequences across the entire economy. Companies that could be building all the things that we need for the net zero future instead are having to turn down work because of the labor shortage. Fewer and fewer young people are
4: choosing to get training in professions such as heating and plumbing fitter. If this trend continues, it will eventually affect everyone.
0: Today, Germany is short some 216,000 energy sector trade workers, including electricians, heating installers, and IT specialists. A report from the Institute on the German Economy put it pretty bluntly. They said that a glaring shortage of skilled electricians is thus becoming the bottleneck of the energy transition. And Poland has also identified a shortage of electricians as being a major problem. As an aside, this same problem exists right here in the U.S. There just aren't enough workers with skills to electrify our buildings. And so, if you want to help solve climate change, honestly, a solid bet might be to become an electrician. As for a shorter-term solution, well, there's been a whole lot of interesting how-to videos springing up on YouTube.
1: In this video, I'm going to take you through a full air source heat pump installation in a two-bedroom bungalow.
0: Once you've clicked that in, it should work. If you put it the wrong way around, what you'll find is you've just blown up your PCB board.
4: Okay, time to do something I've wanted to do for a long time. I'm going to disconnect the gas. There we go. For the final time, gas has been disconnected from the property.
0: Honestly, I really enjoy some of these videos. But DIY heat pump installation just isn't for everyone. We need more specialists. Countries like Germany get this, and they're trying to do something about it with their own kind of videos.
3: Wir sind die und
0: this is a TV commercial from a German craft sector trade group. And these commercials are absolutely everywhere. They feature these images of young people heroically installing solar panels and EV chargers. And it's a part of an advertising blitz that's meant to make the craft sector more appealing. You'll see social media ads like this, even billboards. It's pretty cool,
4: right? I feel like these campaigns are not, not that... Well constructed. It's too much focused on making the craft sector shiny, but it doesn't address the problems that we have in the craft sector.
0: Problems like inclusion. The gender imbalance among heating installers and electricians is extreme, to say the
4: least. These are the two trades with the lowest female share. So they are below 1.5 percent of all workers in these trades are women. 1.5% 1.5% below that. And we know that from other studies that you need a specific percentage of women in a group to make new entering women feel comfortable. This is about 10% or so. It's really a lot of effort to get the sector above this threshold so that you're not losing the women that are willing to start an apprenticeship in one of those trades.
0: So in this bid to attract more trade workers, Germany has relaxed some immigration requirements. But Simon says the government hasn't provided enough support for these programs, support like language training, so that installers can better interact with their German-speaking customers. Still, the government talks a big game when it comes to the importance of the craft sector to the energy transition. This is a speech from Robert Habeck, Germany's Minister of Economy and Climate Action. He was talking earlier this year at the International Craft Fair, which is this major gathering of trade workers in Munich. And in the speech he thanked the workers for keeping the economy running through the pandemic, and he stressed that the trades are a key driver of Germany's energy transition. Despite these proclamations from the German government, the labor shortage persists. And it's not clear how Germany can meet its goal of installing half a million heat pumps per year. Next door in Poland, which, if you remember, is investing a ton in making heat pumps, there just hasn't been as much investment in the workforce to install them. So if we think about it a different way, and picture electrification as Europe's wartime response, and then heat pumps are its artillery, well, there just aren't enough soldiers. So, Despite these challenges, electrification in Germany and Poland is making progress. And on top of that, if you remember way back to episode two of this season, a growing share of the electricity Germany needs for all these new electric devices is coming from renewables. In Germany, the renewable share of power consumption over the past two decades has grown from 5% to 46% if you include hydropower. And when we look at Poland, Last year, this country that really isn't known for its sunshine, well, it was the third in the EU for new solar power capacity additions, which might bring both countries closer to their net zero goals. Again, here's Simon Vaden.
4: Definitely. There's been a lot of talking uh, talking about it. If you looked at the IPCC reports, and so we always knew that these would be our goals, but somehow uh, the actors thought, okay, somebody else will do it or... Maybe, maybe there will be another technology that rescues us, but yeah, now this is really changing.
0: So basically, we're seeing extremely positive progress both in electrification and also in cleaning up our power plants. But here's reality. The crisis has showed us that fossil fuels are still a big part of Europe's energy system. In Germany, coal is making a comeback. Here in Bexbach, a power station once marked for closure is being resurrected. Poland also burns 87% of the total coal used by households in the European Union. Germany and Poland are still the top two coal consumers in the EU, and Europe is still burning a lot of gas. And even Joanna Pandera, which if you remember works in decarbonization for a living, she's actually getting pitches over the internet to buy fossil fuels.
2: There was a guy from, I think, Colombia, which even contacted me over internet and wanted to, to sell coal from Colombia. But, but then I said, uh, finally, after this conversation that uh, I'm doing decarbonization, so it's, I won't buy that coal. But it was, it was funny. So I think our crisis war, was world famous. In the next episode of The Big Switch,
0: we're gonna zoom out from Poland and Germany and ask some really critical questions. First, where does Europe go from here? Second, what will this energy crisis mean long-term for the continent's energy security and also for other regions of the world? And third, we're gonna talk about the trade-offs that need to be made in the quest for security and decarbonization. All of this is coming up in our season finale. The Big Switch is produced by Columbia University's SIPA Center on Global Energy Policy in partnership with PostScript Media. If you appreciate the reporting and storytelling that we're doing here, you can rate and review the show on Apple and Spotify. You can also send the link to a colleague or a friend who you think would like it, and you can find all of our back episodes, along with this current season, wherever you get your pods. This show is produced by Daniel Waldorf, Dan Ackerman, Camille Stennis, Anne Bailey, and Stephen Lacey. Anne Bailey is our senior editor. Sean Marquand wrote our theme song and mixed the episodes. And a special thanks to our Columbia team, Natalie Bolt, Q Lee, Jen Wu, and Harry Kennard. This show is hosted by me, Dr. Melissa Lott. Thank you so much for listening.